Hey fellow nerds, I'm Megan Smiley and this is the Lawyer's Escape Pod. For those of you who've gotten into practice, looked around and thought, so this is my life? I get it. You're in deep and you feel stuck. You may have no idea what the next step would be, or maybe you have an idea, but think it's unrealistic. I truly believe that there's a path forward for each of us if we're intentional about finding it. And this podcast will be a great source of advice and inspiration for you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Today's episode is a little different. Instead of speaking with a lawyer, we're going to speak with Jaquette Timmons, a financial behaviorist. She focuses on the human side of money and gets you to see that you don't just manage money, you manage your choices around money. And in our conversation, we'll get more into what that really means. Jaquette has worked extensively with lawyers, so she has a lot of great insights into some of the common challenges we face around money issues. She's also the author of Financial Intimacy, How to Create a Healthy Relationship with Your Money and Your Mate. She's a frequent blogger, host of her own podcast called More Than Money. Her work has been featured on SiriusXM, Good Morning America, Oprah.com, CNN, and many others. As I'm sure you'll understand very quickly, Jaquette is just amazing. She gave some great advice and we had lots of laughs. It was just an absolute pleasure to speak with her and I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Jaquette, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. I am super excited for you to be here and this is a new experience for me because we're doing this in person, which is amazing. I haven't done this with a guest before. It's so much better to be able to look across the table and see you. I know. I'm really excited. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what it means to be a financial behaviorist? Sure, sure. So as a financial behaviorist, I focus on the human side of money. And what that means is getting people to give even more attention to their behavior with money, the choices that they make with it, and the motivations behind that, as opposed to just focusing on the numbers and crunching the numbers and trying to make sure that those numbers add up, Um, but for them to understand how Again, your behavior, your choices, and your motivation is what actually influences the extent to which those numbers add up or don't. <laughs> right. That makes sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of taking the surface things, and it's hard to fix that when you don't know what's driving your exactly. decision making. Exactly. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. Yeah. And so how did you get into this field? So behavioral economics and behavioral finance, you know, that those are disciplines that have been around for many years. Mm-hmm. It caught my attention, even though I didn't know that that was the language for it, but it caught my attention in 1987. I was just a year out of undergrad, and again, (laughs) you're going to see her picture, and you're going to go, that math doesn't add up. I know, I know, I know. Thank God for my family genes. (laughs) Was she two when she graduated? Right? (laughs) I look a lot younger than I actually am. We should all be so lucky. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) But I was um, a year out of undergrad, and we had the big crash of 87, which was the next largest one after, you know, 33. And we know what all happened after that. And I was fascinated by the two drastically different reactions to it. On one hand, you had people that if they literally could have jumped out of a window, they would have because of the amount of money that they lost for themselves, for their clients. 
on the other end of the spectrum were people that were really calm. And, you know, this is all very new to me. Right. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, what, you know, what, what do the people on either end, what do they know that the other person doesn't? And, w and what is it that's influencing how they are reacting and how come they can't calm the other person down? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> or how come they can't get the other end, you know, more agitated? Yeah. So that was the first thing that got me in, uh, interested in wanting to know, I want to understand more about this. And then how it was amplified was I worked in the private bank and I worked in the private bank managing money for high net worth individuals and families. And I don't come from a private banking background, but that experience showed me how, yes, I'm dealing and working with people who have multiple commas and zeros behind right. those commas, and yet they still had the same questions and challenges and frustrations and concerns that my mother had in raising me and that other people have in raising their children. So it just highlighted for me that regardless of where you are in the income spectrum or the wealth spectrum, fundamentally, you've got the same issues, but you just have different resources to help you uh, deal with those issues. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I never really thought about it like that because you always are looking at the people at the sort of income level above you going, oh, those people must not have any problems. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So don't worry about it. We're, we're all nuts. We're all, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all got something we're trying to work yeah. out. <laughs> so what do you find is a common th emotional issue around money and what are these things that people tend to be trying to work out? In general, or how it pertains to lawyers? I, I mean, yeah, lawyers specifically would be my next question. So with lawyers specifically, I think one of the key things is if we think of the profile, and I realize that I'm saying this from the standpoint of being in New York and you know my clients being big law firm clients, but those associates are coming out, first-year associates now, right? They're mm -hmm. coming out making almost $200,000. It's nuts. Right? So their profile is that you're coming out making almost $200,000. More than likely, you also have some student loan debt. Right. right. <laughs> and that is, you know, from what I hear people saying, that is one of the heaviest weights that we all carry around. Right. Not all, but, you know, mm -hmm. that it, it's a very common part of people's yes. story around their financial situation. Exactly, and their choices yes. that they make, right? Um, and then the third piece is that you probably live in a place where the cost of living is expensive. So even if you don't necessarily live an extravagant lifestyle, the cost of living, even your minimal lifestyle, if you will, is mm -hmm. pretty high. So part of the challenge is recognizing the reality of, oh my God, I'm making $200,000, which probably means that you're really only taking home half of that. Yeah. <laughs> and recognizing that it might not even still be enough. Right. Right. So I think that that's one, one issue or challenge that comes up. Another is th that we focus on um, someone being, you know, an attorney and working at the law firm or whatever. And we don't recognize all the time that that person could potentially be the first in their family to go to college, the first in their family to go to grad school, the first in their family to make this much money. Yeah. And with that comes a lot of responsibilities and also some challenges in just, you know, managing the internal um, aspects that go with that scope of 
of responsibility and yeah. what role do they play in their family's lives when it comes to finances. So yeah. those are some of the things that I see people wrestling with yeah. when I'm doing the workshops that I do. Yeah, and it both of those would seem to go to, there's a mindset, I think, uh, I think um, among a lot of lawyers, whether it's because of your debt or because of the role that you're playing for your immediate family or your extended family as a breadwinner, that you simply don't have any options but to stay on this treadmill of working at whatever big firm you're at. And again, this is a little bit of a big firm right. uh, focus, but I think that's true across the board, just at different scales. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think what's helpful is to reframe how we're thinking about the money and say there are strategies on how to manage this rather than you're stuck in this tra trap forever and ever. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think that's I, – I think a lot of people feel like that. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because when I do um, the workshops, and for those that don't know, I do financial workshops um, largely for AM Law 200 firms, and those workshops are for the associates and partners. And then I'm now also doing retreats for associates and partners, so that's fun. Um, and one of the exercises that I do when it's a workshop is I will ask people, where do you see yourself in five years? And so for the first year associate, you know, that is a different trajectory. Mm -hmm. But even for, you know, the second and third year, it's a different trajectory. And the reason I ask that question is because if you are on the partner track, then you, there are two things. You have to recognize that that means you are basically an entrepreneur, right? Because you're now responsible. I think that is such an important point to make mm -hmm. because it is both, it plays into the fact that I think as a lawyer, you get trained up to be a lawyer. You sort of know what to do when you get to the job, but then you get trained up on the job. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden they're like, all right, well now you need clients. <laughs> <laughs> go out and get them exactly. and people are like nobody taught me how to do that exactly and it's scary you go from yep. having what you think is a very reliable mm -hmm. job with a steady yep. paycheck to realizing just what you said that yes. you're not I never thought of it in those terms but yes. you're absolutely right yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 so now you are responsible for building a book of business and the reason for asking about that five-year timeline is you've got to figure out if that's what you want to do. And if it is what you want to do, especially when it comes to managing the debt, I say to those folks then to just ease up a little bit because it's going to take you a minute to pay off your debt. Like, yeah. So I think that's part of the challenge, right? Because um, look, I'm still paying off grad school, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that will be yeah. done sooner rather than later. Um, baby steps, baby steps. Baby steps, baby <laughs> steps. But I think oftentimes there's this, there's this association of I've, I've done all of this work, I'm now making all of this money, and I want to just pay this off like overnight. And that's just an unreal expectation that we put on our shoulders, but I see it with folks that are lawyers. I see it with yeah. folks that are doctors. Um, but my going back to my point, if you are going to be on the partner track, then you know you can give yourself a little bit of a breathing room. Mm -hmm. If, though, you decide that in that five-year period, you don't want to do the, uh, the partner track, or maybe they decide for you. 
yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I, I re- reveal my age on this with a lot of the, the interviews because m- many of people in my era came up in the 2007 recession. Yes. And so I know a lot of people who had that decision made for right. them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so then the challenge becomes with whatever it is that you do next, are you still going to be making what you're making? Right. Because now, you know, two, three, four, five years later, you're making more than 200000 right. right? And so is that next thing going to bring you the same amount of income? And if it's not, then how do you come up with a game plan so that you can adjust your lifestyle mm-hmm. and still meet your student loan obligations with ease? And that's just a matter of planning and being intentional about what you do and then executing on that plan. Yeah, I think that's so true. I think it's hard sometimes for people who are perhaps in the category of, I don't want to be here forever, but I'm making a lot of money. But they're so miserable that the only thing that they, and this is another sort of emotional thing around money, is that what makes them feel like they have any sort of uh, autonomy or anything that's fun is to spend that money. Well, if I'm going to be this miserable and I'm going to be at this firm, <laughs> I'm going to get those shoes, I'm right. going to get that handbag, I'm going to go on that trip to Tahiti, whatever right. it is. I totally get that. But um, I think that that's, it's so important what you said to really ask yourself, what is your timeline? And get real about planning for that if you need to. Absolutely. And I think that You know, one of the messages that I'm always trying to get across to people is this notion of it's our job to give money direction. And in the same vein, I think it's our job to give our career or our job a direction. And what I mean by that in this example is maybe you are miserable, Mm -hmm. but what the the way that you you know push through those days without spending your feelings right <laughs> is to say look i'm doing this for x amount of time because this is its role its purpose its job and getting me to the next point is getting me to that point where when i leave i don't have this debt anymore and i can leave without this weight so i think if we kind of focus on the job the goal then it can make bearing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> those moments uh, more bearable without also then exasperating it by spending money right no that totally <laughs> makes sense and and lawyers love nothing better than a clear plan right ahead, so, you know. I think a lot of people just don't don't press themselves to make that plan because maybe they don't think it's even realistic it's just Oh, you, my God. You, that you just, nope, I'll never pay off those loans. I'm stuck here, period, end of story. Not going <laughs> to even engage in that anymore. Oh, my God. The reason why I'm chuckling yeah. over here is because there's a, a particular exercise that I do in the workshops, and I always preface it with, I know you guys are lawyers, so I'm <laughs> asking you to do this with me. <laughs> Suspend reality for oh. a moment because, yes. oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Nerds, we're nerds. What can I say? Oh my God, it's even beyond nerds. It's about, it doesn't have to be. So I'm, I'm probably sounding really abstract to the listeners. So to give you an example, one of the questions that I ask people to think about is if you wave a magic wand and the, your answers to these questions could be whatever you want them to be, what would you want to save in 30 days? What would you want to save in a year? 
What would you want to say is the most you've ever saved when you're looking back over your life and you're the age of the oldest person that you know? The amount of resistance that I will sometimes get to that is over the chart. <laughs> because they want, I'm going to guess what the, mm -hmm. what it, they want parameters. They want, well, there are too many variables exactly. in this problem exactly. to give you the correct answer. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm having the same lawyer reaction to this. And I'm like, like, well, you can't possibly. Can't possibly. I know. It's an unanswerable question. And that's why I always say, just play along with me, folks. Just play along with me. This will all make sense. But for the moment, mm -hmm. I need you to let that control go. Yeah. I know. It's hard. I even, I, I'm telling you, I feel it. <laughs> so, and so what is that meant, you know, if, if we go with you on this journey and accept that, we can just answer these questions even if we don't feel we have all of the information. What does that get help people get to? So it's a part of an, an exercise that's really intended to get people to focus on their relationship with money in a very different way. Most of us have been conditioned whereas the way we approach money is we take what we earn and from that we make decisions about saving, investing, and spending, and we typically do all of that after we've paid our bills or whatever our obligations are. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that approach. I mean, from a cultural standpoint, we've been doing it that way for many mm -hmm. generations. Some people make that work really well for them, others not so much. My take, though, is that there's a better way. And that better way is to be more intentional, intentional and uh, give the direction that I made before, mentioned before, in terms of this is how much I want to save and this is why. And these are for different time periods. This is how I want to invest. And when I say invest, clearly I mean from a financial standpoint because that's how we build wealth. But I'm also asking people to expand their definition of wealth. And so we dive into all of those different dimensions yeah. as well. And then I ask in terms of spending, you know, what's the lifestyle that you want to have? You know, how yeah. do you want to spend your time? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Right, right? again. Right. And like, how would you really answer that if money were not an issue? And then the question becomes, well, if those things are important to you, what do you need to earn to make that happen? Right. That's a very different conversation that you're having with yourself around money and what it is you want to do, what, what it is you want it to do for you and what it is you're willing to do for it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Then if you're trying to make whatever it is you want to have happen in your life happen based upon what you're earning, right? So instead of saying, I earn X and this is how I'm going to make it work, you're saying, this is what I want to have, so then what do I need to earn to make that happen? That shift is very different. And so yeah. that's the reason for um, asking people to suspend that judgment so that they can actually tap into their vision. Mm -hmm. So yes, I know, you know, about the the order of things and right, the risk right, management right. but at the end of the day I think even if we don't necessarily tap into it all the time I think we all have a vision for how we want to live our lives and money plays a huge role in it and mm -hmm. so what I'm trying to get people to do is to connect with that right so they can be really clear about the choices that they're making the behavior that they're practicing the strategy that they're employing the you know the the strategy that they're using, all of that. Yeah, and that makes sense because I think a lot of people, you know, this whole concept of the golden handcuffs and depending on where in your career you're having this thought process, 
I know for me, I was like, better get out before that happens. But I think a lot of people feel like, well, it already happened. I already bought this big house and and I already am sending my kids to private school or whatever their lifestyle is. Um, But people then assume those are unchangeable factors in their life. You can sell a house. Yes. You can move to another city where things are less expensive and you can live a lifestyle that you actually would be happy with. But I think you're completely right that you have to challenge someone to say, really what does matter to you? Do you need that big house? Mm-hmm. Or do you just feel like you have to and right. because you do? And right. That's not really a reason. Right. And yeah. my questioning is never coming from a, a place of judgment. Yeah, no, It's always no. coming from the more self-aware you are about why you're doing what you're doing, yeah. the better you're going to feel about your choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, the trade-offs that you're making that come with those choices. Yeah. I think if there's like a common thread that I would like to communicate to people is – that the way to get to pl- someplace financially, career-wise, relationships do, is being intentional. Yes. If you just kind of go through life and react to things mm-hmm. on all fronts, mm-hmm. you're going to end up feeling kind of like you did not choose where you are. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and you're going to have yes. a little bit of whiplash. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it really requires, and, and I think this is hard because – you know, it's a little touchy-feely and not necessarily how lawyers think. Um, and they also will tell you they don't have any time to sit down and, like, think about these things. But that's how you get where you want to go, Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, I, and then I would also say for those people that sometimes push back, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, the 30 minutes or whatever, and even if you spend an hour that you spend doing this, that's going to save you time on the other end if you don't get it right. Right, right, yeah. So maybe you weren't, maybe that's a, you know, an hour of billable time that you weren't able to implement. Yeah. But if it saves you something else on the other end of this equation here, I think you're a little bit better off in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I I mentioned this at one point, but when I left the firm to go into higher ed, I knew I was taking a pretty, like, sizable pay Mm -hmm. cut. And so I moved, and I wasn't trying to move to New York. That's just where the job was. I was like, hey, hey, you know. Couldn't you go to a less expensive yeah, place, exactly. right? I was not aiming for this. And so, you know, in my early 30s, moved to New York. Well, mm-hmm. everybody else was leaving New York, it right. felt like, and moved into an apartment with two 24-year-old roommates with one of those fake walls. And mm-hmm. I was just, you know, it was... If I had had to do that for many years, I'm not sure. I would have had to recalibrate my my trade-offs. But as it turned out, you know, turns out I can live on half of what I was making at at the law firm. And I still travel and I still do the things I I want to do. So it is possible, but you have to really ask yourself what what is important. Um, Totally, totally Mm -hmm. agree with that. So you also have a particular specialty in how couples manage this, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are navigating. I was lucky enough to sort of make that transition as a single person, so I it was just me and the dog. I was like, are you okay with this? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. You know, now I'm married, and I, I right. know what a different conversation this would be, right. and I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there who are making this decision as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is sort of 
your experience of how to best navigate that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation yeah. around this time of year because um, in October, it will be the 10th year anniversary of when my book was published. Oh, congratulations. So, yay, thank you. <laughs> um, but so a couple of things that I always mention to people is that when it comes to creating financial intimacy with someone else, you have to first create it with yourself. And that doesn't mean that everything has to be perfect in terms of your relationship with money. But what it does mean is you have to be aware of what your strengths are, what areas need improvement, what your preferences are, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to having this conversation, it's first really understanding what's your pattern of behavior with money? Where does that come from? Are you reacting to what you saw growing up? And are you reacting from the standpoint of you're continuing some of those habits and beliefs? Or are you rejecting those habits and beliefs and you're doing something opposite? Or you think you're doing something right. opposite, maybe not. Um, and recognize that whatever is influencing you, while the details may be different, those are the same things that are influencing the other person in your life. And so when it comes to having a conversation around maybe making a significant uh, career change that's going to have a huge impact on the household's uh, income picture and wealth picture, it's really then a matter of basically like selling a business idea, yeah, right? And just coming up and saying, this is what I want to do. This is why it's important to me. This is the impact that I think it's going to have. What do you think? And then who knows where the conversation will go. And if you're not on the same page about that, then that's really an opportunity not necessarily to walk away. And I don't literally mean walk yeah, away. Yeah. But it, it's, it, it, it's not an opportunity to say, okay, this is not possible. We can't move forward. But it is an opportunity to figure out and ask the question, well, what is possible? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's so true what you said, that people come at their approach to money so differently and part of it is understanding the other person you yeah know, I this is very true for, for yeah. my husband and I have very different backgrounds and you're not and the research that's not a surprise yeah. because the research says that you more than likely will attract someone who's the opposite of you huh. so if you're the saver they're likely to be the spender if you're the spender they're likely to be the saver and if it's the case that you're both the same you're both savers and you're mm -hmm. both savers uh, spenders and yeah. savers, one of you will scale back. And yeah. I just think that that's just nature's way of pairing us with yeah. someone who's going to help us grow. Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, well, I definitely did that then. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a crazy spender, but I think I am more... Um, I don't worry about it as much as my husband does. Mm -hmm. But if you look at where we came from, that makes total sense, right. right? You know, and for me, then you learn it's a question of empathy. It's right. let me understand where you're coming from right. and you can understand where I'm coming exactly. from. Exactly. And who knows what, what that leads us to, but it's going to be a better place than right. us both just being at sort of loggerheads. Right. Yeah. I always say to people, because, you know, there's this whole, I call it a myth that says we don't talk about money. And I think yeah. we actually talk about money all the time. I just don't think we're having the right conversations. And I think that one of the reasons that some couples avoid having the more substantive conversations is because they don't want to feel vulnerable and they don't want to feel exposed. And I just feel like, well, actually, aren't those the things that deepen your connection? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 
say it's hard. I mean, listen. Oh, my God. I didn't say it was easy. <laughs> I didn't say it was easy. Yeah, and then I think yeah. that's a part of, I think that's also, though, that speaks to a lot of uh, what comes up when it comes to money is that people expect some of it to be easy and it's not intended to. Right. Because from my perspective, money is like one of one of the best quote unquote <laughs> uh, personal development tools that there that, that exists because yeah. you will learn so much about yourself <laughs> and your relationship vis-a-vis right. -vis money <laughs> yeah definitely right mm -hmm. yeah you know and I think that um you know you say personal development and lawyers are probably like nope 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 <laughs> that's cuckoo <laughs> stuff but I think we need to think a little bit broader about about what that means. Personal development means just spending some time working on yourself to get where you want to be, whether that's working on your finances or asking yourself what really makes you happy. You know, these are not silly questions to be diving into. And they're not. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And I think the other thing is to remember that whether you call it personal development or you call it something else, you're employing that as you're managing your career, right? As mm -hmm. you're managing what team you want to be on, which partner you want to work with. If you are going to be on the partner track, who are you going to have as your mentor? Mm -hmm. Like the personal development is all about self-awareness. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the greater you are at that, the better able you're going to be able to navigate some of those minefields that someone who's not very self-aware is going to touch and just the stuff's going to blow up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because then it does. I mean, mm -hmm. we all know that. And you get to a point where you go, I just have to escape. And that's not a right. good answer. You would rather have. Right. And I know all of us nerdy lawyers would rather have a plan in right. place exactly. for that. Exactly. So, yes. Um, well, how did you, I'm just sort of jumping back. How did you get hooked up with law firms? How did, Because that wasn't maybe initially where you were going. So is it just that we, we need a lot of help? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I happen to have a lot of uh, lawyer friends. And um, I was, <laughs> funny, I was at a friend's baby shower. And one of the other guests happened to have been head of professional development at a major firm. And she was like, you know, I really like what you're doing. And I think you should come in and do some work for our first year associates. And that was probably seven years ago. And so that kind of um, got me into that space. Mm -hmm. And so I've worked with a number of different firms now. And, and most recently, I did a seven city tour for one firm where I traveled all across the states to all their different offices, again, doing sessions for their associates and partners. And that was a ton of fun. And now I'm about to do a retreat for a firm that's doing their very first retreat for their women um, associates and partners. And then I've also done a series for the New York City Bar. So I've just worked a lot. Yeah. And then I've had some one-on-one -on -one coaches that yeah. are also attorneys. So yeah. I've just worked a lot with lawyers. And my client base happens to be that you know high earner, curious, driven person, lawyer, doctor, other people on you know wall street mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that's actually great that there are law firms out there that are thinking more holistically about how to support their employees um 
because I don't think that's historically been a sort of a service that would have been provided, but I think that's that's really great and forward thinking of, yeah. of them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But here are some stats, though, that kind of perhaps support it. And this is not that it's, that it's just for law firms. It's just how corporate is in general in terms of companies in that I think it's... But law firms are like terribly run companies, right? <laughs> We're behind everybody else. Just being just, honest. Just a little bit. Just a little. <laughs> but so in some instances, yes, behind and then also a little bit more progressive. Because I remember for one of the firms, I went to one of their offices and they had a, um, a quiet room, a meditation room. That just blew me away. Like yeah. I would not have thought that a law firm would have a meditation yeah, room. Like yeah. really? Um, but anyway, um, the stat, and I, and I may be wrong, so don't quote me on it precisely, but I think it's like 33% of employees are financially stressed and distracted at work. Oh, wow. And so what does that do? That has an impact on their productivity. That has an impact on their profitability. And then it also might have an impact on their engagement and thus retention. And law firms spend a heck of a lot of money. Yeah. Right? Recruiting those associates. And so then to have someone that's not fully there because they are overwhelmed by financial challenges. Yeah. The, the, the price that they're paying me to get that person or that group of people in a better situation yeah. is well worth the investment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. If and you're going to get more engagement, more profitability, yeah, and more productivity out of them. Before we know it, law firms are going to look like Silicon Valley. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure that's going to happen in my lifetime, but it does. I, yes. It, it, it's, uh, it is an encouraging even if it's self-serving on the firm's point of view, it is encouraging to see them recognizing people as full humans yes. with a set of right. needs. They're not a, robots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. They keep telling us that this is one of the jobs that won't be taken by the robots. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Jacquette, tell us, you've sort of mentioned a few of them, but tell us a few of the different programs that you run and how people can work with you. Sure. So there are uh, three pillars, if you will, to my business. There's coaching, and I do one-on-one coaching with singles, couples, and entrepreneurs. That's one pillar. A second pillar is for higher speaking. So that's where the law firms will hire me or Fortune 500s or conferences, nonprofits. They will bring me in, and I'm either doing my signature talk or some other talk, But regardless of what it is in terms of title and perhaps length and emphasis, they're always bringing me in because of my particular perspective on talking about the emotions and psychology of money as well as the math of it. Yeah. And then the third arm is events. So I host a dinner series here in New York called The Comfort Circle where we get together and we talk about money, business, and life over food and wine. Always a good combination. Yeah. (laughs) And then the second event that I host is a one-day pricing retreat for entrepreneurs on um, how to better price their products and services in such a way that they're setting their businesses up for success, but also for themselves. Like making sure that that business success translates down into your own personal success, because I know from personal experience yeah. that you can have a profitable business and one that's cash flow positive and yet be broke. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to change that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and I bet there are a lot of emotional and psychological issues that go into how to price 
yourself. Absolutely. (laughs) And so that's why, you know, the, the particular framework that I came up with and that I shared during this retreat asks us to examine what's your relationship with money, what's your relationship with yourself, with your business, and with the people that you want to serve because all of that shows up in your pricing, whether we recognize it or not. And so let's recognize it and then let's be intentional about the story that we want to tell with that. Well, this has been awesome. I feel like I need to go down and like look at my numbers and think (laughs) about my emotional relationship to money (laughs) immediately. No, but in in an inspiring way, you know, I just think that I think that people will feel empowered if they approach it from because it's it's something that you can do and it's it there are steps to take and you know I think that's what everyone's looking for and and the permission to say look there's a deeper level that you want to look at here yeah and you know I'm really glad you said the whole piece about permission because I think the other aspect of this is giving yourself permission to have the questions that you have Particularly right. for lawyers who think right. they should know this stuff. Like, I went so, to law school. I do yes. multi-billion dollar deals. I yes. should know how to do my finances. Exactly. So can I tell <laughs> yes. you a really quick story? Yes. It's how the dinners came about. So I had a coaching client. Um, she is a general counsel for a publicly traded company. And so we were working together. She had a particular issue that I couldn't help her with, but I referred her to someone who could. So when we had our follow-up session, she was like, oh my God, I'm so glad you turned me on to this person. I don't know what I would have done. And she's like, oh, I I probably just would have gone to the yellow pages. Now, I don't think she was being flipped when she said that. I think she was really, really serious about that. (laughs) And although I didn't say it, I'm thinking to myself, really? That would have been your choice. (laughs) With all the resources you have. Exactly. Um, But I did ask, I don't remember precisely what I asked, But I did ask her a follow-up question to which her response was, I can talk to my girlfriends about sex. I cannot talk to them about money. Yeah. And that was not the first time that I heard it, but it just resonated with me in such a different way that it made me think, I got to come up with something that that will allow people to feel comfortable with expressing that they have a question and not feel like, you know, they have to wear all that comes with the armor of, well, you're an attorney. Well, you're a general counsel or you're this, you're that. Of course you should know. No, none of, we don't, none of us knows everything. Right, right. <laughs> right. And we need a space to be able to say what we don't know and, and ask the questions that we have. And so that is the inspiration for what prompted me to start the Comfort Circle Dinner Series because yeah. I wanted to create a safe space for people to be vulnerable about the questions that they had and the things that they wanted to admit that they didn't know. Yeah. But by closing that knowledge gap, it will help them get to where they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I'm having like Brene Brown. I'm like, <laughs> shame, vulnerability. Right. <laughs> Check exactly. it out if you don't know what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but it's so true, and I think that we have this armor. So I think it's just you have a really interesting approach to this that I think in many ways I'm sure is helpful for everybody, but I can see how it is specifically helpful for for lawyers and mm-hmm. how we come mm-hmm. to these, you know, with, with making money but having debt but also thinking we should know more than we maybe do. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think for anyone out there that um, – it feels like they might be struggling with these issues. Uh, 
you know, check Jackhead out. She also has her own podcast. Yes. Tell us where to find that. Yeah. So it's called More Than Money. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and we talk about the psychology and the emotions of money. Um, and you can find it on Apple Podcast or Spotify. All right. Yeah. And where else can people find you if they're just... You can find me on my website, jacquettetimmons.com, and I am way active on Twitter and Instagram. So if you just put my name in the search bar, my appropriate handles will come up so you can follow me and send me a DM on Instagram. I have I happily answer those. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been a delight. <laughs> yes, it has been thank so you. fun to chat with you and to do it in person. Yes. It's extra special. Thank so, you. Um, and thank you for coming all the way over here. I appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. You guys, don't you feel so much better? I feel like Jack Hat makes everything seem more manageable. I think one really important message is that we shouldn't allow overwhelm to keep us from starting the process of actively managing our finances and creating financial plans. You may feel like your finances limit your options because of various factors, debt, family obligations, high cost of living. And it's not to say that those aren't real challenges. They absolutely are. But it doesn't mean that you can't make progress towards saving or changing your spending habits in a way that opens up options. If you're thoughtful and intentional about planning, you can make progress on financial goals, which then tie into your overall career and life goals. I know it feels daunting, but Jacquette has some really good suggestions on questions to ask yourself to create a plan that works for you. When you feel like you're making purposeful trade-offs, you'll feel better about them. And remember, progress can take time. You may be looking at a multi-year plan before you see major payoff. Think of that time and discipline as an investment in your future options. Future you will be so psyched that current you started that process. Lastly, don't be ashamed if you haven't been managing your finances as well as you'd like or even if you don't know how or where to start. I really think there are a lot of very smart people who are not great at managing finances, and it feels embarrassing to admit. I've definitely had moments of that, <laughs> but it's okay to start wherever you are. Ask yourself some of the questions that Jacquette posed, create an overall goal, then track your money. Use something like Mint or QuickBooks or whatever works for you. Understand where your money is going. And from there, you can make changes and build a budget that aligns with your goals. And if you're anything like me, you get happily lost in a spreadsheet and it actually becomes fun. <laughs> <laughs>